I know, I know. I had trouble fading it out. And mine is the last voice I want to hear after such a voice from heaven. But nevertheless, welcome to the Armenian News Network, Grung, Amasbet Bedrosian. In this Conversations on Grung episode, we'll be talking about music, art, and all the things that make us human beings, and specifically, Armenians. Our guest host today is Bedros Afeyan, who is a theoretical physicist who loves music and often quotes Nietzsche, who said, without music, life would be a mistake. And our guest today is Isabel Bayraktarian, who is a mother, singer, teacher, poet, artist, storyteller, collaborator, believer, and not your average prima donna. This episode was recorded on Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. Take it away, Bedros. Internationally acclaimed soprano, Lebanese-born, Canadian-Armenian-American Isabel Bayraktarian has released an album that draws on five generations of her family, from her great-grandparents to her own children. Well, I was a child once, where she was a child, 15 years later, namely Beirut, Lebanon. And we both sang as acolytes in the Armenian Apostolic Church. We sang the same mass, the same ancient hymns, wearing the same robes and sliding around on the same hand-me-down slippers. Then we both left Lebanon and settled in Canada, Montreal for me, Toronto for her, finished high school and studied engineering in college, many years apart, mind you, and now we're both living in sunny California. Somewhere in the middle of all that, of course, she became a famous opera singer and I did not. But we are both still very much Armenian, passionately devoted to music, so I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to talk and explore what makes her tick how she came to choose music and singing over biochemical engineering, how she views those decisions now, what are her favorite genres of classical music, how she prepares, how she maintains her voice, how she does the musical scholarship to unearth and dust off over 100-year-old village songs, intonations, accents, traditional renditions, resurrecting Agen, Ani, Bitlis, Dikranagert, Bardizak, Bursa, Van, or Gesaria, among many other ashes of the Armenian genocide, as well as parenthood, being a professor at UCSB, and in her spare time, a diva, a superstar, and an award-winning international recording artist. Hello and welcome, Isabel. I'm delighted to be in your company. Thank you so much, Redros, for that beautiful introduction. I'm extremely humbled, but you know, there's still more to who I am than what's listed. <laughs> you forgot a cook and a chef. I love cooking as well. And um, that's also part of tradition, isn't it? Absolutely. So Isabel, uh, we have met on a number of occasions in the past. I first learned about you from my mother, who was excited to hear that you were from Zahle when you won your first international competition and CBC was all over it. Your album, Joyous Light, made an indelible impression on me, and that reverberated in Atomegayan's film Ararat, which I reviewed for Gerung, which I remember, if I remember correctly, was 20 years ago now. I also remember the album and movie, The Journey Home, Precious. So let me start with some questions for our audience are going to want to hear. How did that journey back to Armenian music happen? 
How did you manage learning classical music and training your operatic voice while attending the prestigious University of Toronto, studying engineering of all subjects? Um, as in everything in my life, I listen to my inner voice. Um, it has often defied logic, but I feel kind of like a, a fire in me. And I see a vision that people around me don't see. Thankfully, I've grown up in a very supportive family and they've never put me down and say, oh no, that's not possible. I've grown up with the encouragement that you can be anything you put your mind to regardless of gender, thankfully. Though I come from a very patriarchal society, of course, and that has not been the case to me. Mind you, part of it has to do with the fact that I came to Canada when I was young, I was 14 years old. So the dogma of you can't, you, you can't do this, you can do that, hadn't really been solidified in me. So I was very much a free bird. And with that free bird mentality comes curiosity and never limiting yourself to one certain thing. By the way, that still is my personality until today, actually, the free bird and how important freedom of spirit is. So looking at what I was good at, I was good at a lot of things, uh, if I may say so humbly. You know, I, I, I really was because um, I was very good in athletics. You know, when I was 12, I, I won the first prize in Levam uh, in bicycle, in, in cycling. I was the champion in Lebanon for cycling. I was always good in maths and sciences, always had, just took that for granted, actually. And singing, I've been singing in church Gosh, from in, from conception, honestly, until now. So what to do uh, in university, how to choose my degree in university was, was uh, number one, it was a no-brainer because I had, I had a full scholarship to University of Toronto. And so that uh, and in engineering, the women are encouraged to apply, of course, in the field of STEM. And singing was never really an option for a career. And that's, I find... Um, the performing arts usually is not something on the forefront of thinking of immigrants, right? When you have gone through the experience of leaving everything behind, moving to a new country, a new language, stability is something that you instinctively seek. And you see the family struggling to um, establish themselves. So art sometimes is considered, unfortunately, it's considered a luxury or trivial. Whereas something as stable, quote unquote, stable as an engineering or, or a, a medicine is more desirable. So I'm sure that went into my thinking when I was thinking of applying for engineering. I'm also a Taurus. I happen to really like to have my feet on the ground and, and um, just that owning the space I'm in. So engineering was easy. And, but what kind of engineering I chose was, it should be a foretelling of who my soul is. I didn't choose mechanical engineering. I did not choose electrical engineering or chemical engineering. I thought, how can I spend the rest of my life with objects and materials? I need to be with people. And I need to, most of all, more importantly, I need to help people. And biomedical engineering really appealed to me. Actually, the second below that was 
aerospace because that was so new and I really wanted, but that space. But biomedical engineering really, really resonated with me. I have two brothers who are doctors. So, and I come actually, traditionally, I come again from a family of midwives, very well-known midwives back in um, Gertjol and, and Iskandarun. So that has always been in me, the caring, the, the, the nurturing, the healing, most of all the healing. So that appealed to me immediately. It was part of engineering science, even more difficult than other engineering degrees. But something interesting happened. First year of engineering, I was not happy for the first time in my life. I said, why? I said, ah, it's because I'm only concentrating on my studies and there's no music in my life anymore because, because I wasn't singing in choirs. The, the course load was intense. And immediately the second semester, I was at the Royal Conservatory of Music saying, I need to sign up for voice lessons. And literally I went down the list of the, of the teachers, uh, who were accepting students. I had no clue about, about the whole system, who's a good teacher, who's not, and went with a person that resonated with me, that just, I stopped on that name. I had no idea if it was a male or female from the name, actually, you know what I mean? But just, I stopped there. And she was my first teacher up until I switched to another teacher in New York. That's, I've just had two teachers in my life. So again, being led by this inner voice that said, you must do this. And then it wasn't an immediate overnight thing of, ah, oh, I need to change the, cur- the course of my life. I will say my teacher at that time, she, tur- she said to me, Isabel, you make sure you finish your engineering degree. She didn't say, quit it. You have a great talent. Pursue it. I mean, she also, her father was also an engineer. Her brothers were engineers. So she knew, she, she knew how, how fickle this business is, the arts, and how more often than not, you are at the mercy of somebody else's opinion. And if you're not coming from a strong, secure place, you can easily be shredded by the negativity, by like you're putting your worth in somebody else's hands and their opinions. There's not even a, you know, it's not like a, um, you, you can't even prove that you, you did it right. It's it's not like a, a yes or no answer. It's a, it's um, uh, it's a, it's very subjective. So it can um, truly cause emotional harm. It can destroy you. Well, you're saying it right here because I have to be more, you know, diplomatic because this is what I do, right? But um, she, uh, uh, and that was one of the best comments because it kept me grounded. And you know what? I won the Metropolitan Opera competition in my senior year of engineering, senior year. I was preparing my thesis and I can go on and on. The whole podcast could be about that experience, how surreal it was being in New York City in my hotel right in front of the Metropolitan Opera. And instead of worrying about my notes or my nails or what I'm going to wear or what I was doing, my, my, my final, you know, my exams, which my professors were faxing to me at the time that we had no internet, right? They were faxing it to the hotel front desk so that I could finish it and submit it. It was surreal. However, going back, would I do this all over again? Absolutely. Because having that degree gave me a sense of self-worth that I'm not 
only one thing. I'm more than this beautiful gift that God has given me. I have many other talents. And the one thing that it helped me is like, there was no desperation. I had fire in me, but I wasn't desperate for it, which meant that I've always approached this with joy. What gives me joy? That's what I'm going to do. Nobody is ever going to force me to sing something I don't feel comfortable singing. So that has been such a savior for me in this um, 25 years of career that I've had so far. 25 years, a quarter of a century I've, I've done this and how I've kept my voice fresh, how I've kept my perspective healthy, how I still gain joy every single time I step on stage and I forget that I'm paid at the end of it. Truly, the, the expectation of it is gone because to me, the reward is already singing on stage. So that not being desperate for it, but still loving it with passion has kept me on a very sane ground. That and the fact that my faith and my family have kept me grounded. So often you take your success again as your self-worth, but then to be honest, to look at the mirror, honestly, you also have to take your failures <laughs> in it too. And, um, and often I find in performance, that's it. You just need to do it with joy, without any expectation, as in everything in life, right? You've, you've okay, got to do it without any... Down. Let's slow this down. And let me put on my you know, stage director's hat and tell you what are some of the scenes we're missing to make this work. So I, I love what I'm hearing, but let me t tell you what I need to hear. Something about workload separation when you were doing all this, this beautiful, crazy engineering and singing. How hard was it? Which one was pulling you? You know, was it 50-50 effort, 20-80 effort? What kind of effort was that? Just just give us some statistical information so people ah. can imagine because nobody else has done any of that. So, um, you know. Music was effortless. To this day, it's effortless. You learn, this, are you have photographic memory? You learn no, immediately? No, like I, I learn music very fast. I retain that information very fast. I have a very, very methodical way of learning it. It's first visual, breaking it down to small parts, and then learning it. And it just, it just, the, 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 the switch from brain to heart is so fast for me. All right, let, see, me ask, often, let me ask tougher questions then. Since you want to go, okay, we're going to go much tougher than this then. Okay, here's, <laughs> a tough, here's a tougher question. How much does it depend on how much you like the piece of music? That is to say, do you find that you learn a piece of music you like faster than a piece of, let's say, Schoenberg 12-tone uh, something? <laughs> or is it just technical so that it doesn't matter what it, how it assembles, you still have the tricks to disassemble it, whether it's uh, Mozart or Schoenberg, for instance? Number one you've got to know the size of your shoe. It's a saying in Armenian, right? Yes. You cannot, you may love the queen of the night, but you should not sing queen of the night, even though your label is soprano. So you should know who you are first so when choosing repertoire. That was your teach, were your teachers helpful no. there or it's just know, your, no, no. your own assessment? Trial and error. 
Okay. And mm-hmm. thankfully I'm a fast learner mm-hmm. and um, I don't let my ego get ahead of me when choosing repertoire. It's very important. So you're conservative. Uh, I am realist. So, and I'm very proud of who I am, meaning what other others may consider, oh, if you don't sing Verdi and Puccini, it's nothing. Right, that right. is your opinion. Can you do a Mozartian phrase? Can you do this Handel phrase? Yeah. And if you do, brava to you. However, I've been given this. This is my um, fingerprint. No one else has this fingerprint. I embrace me. I embrace everything about me because I'm unique. So the sooner you learn this, the better, because it will make a difference on the repertoire you choose. Now, you're, you, everybody's miserable singing something they don't like. There's no such thing. as So the trick is choose something you like and everything else is smooth after that. The learning, the internalizing, the characterization, because if you love something, then you can find whatever situation it is. The way I approach characterization is find at least one single thing in the character you're singing that mirrors you, that mirrors your personality. If that one single connection makes you authentic on stage. That's exactly what actors have to do as well. It's exactly the same thing. Besides, for instance, Charles Aznavour believed that the key to singing is acting and that the difference, he wanted to be an actor and he sang because that's what he was able to do. And so even when he was teaching Liza Minnelli, what he taught her, who was already an established singer, is how to act when on stage. And she says that changed her life. So you're saying you do the same thing instinctually. It's the right instincts to have. Yes, because if something is authentic, both by from its beginning, from its from its basis, if the repertoire is authentic to you, it resonates with you, then you just let it in and it resonates truly your own light, your own being. It amplifies with that resonance. It just amplifies. It's out there. And you don't have to try. You don't have to try. Because honestly, the audience, regardless of their background and expertise, they sniff fake like that. They sniff it. They know it. Kids do it. Kids. Children are known, you know, to to zone out if something feels fake to them and, and are very much engaged if it's if it's if it's alive. So that's what I would say. So on this subject, there's a million subjects we can go into here, but on this subject of choice, I have a couple of questions. For instance, in my case, I didn't like Bartok's string quartets. And a good musician friend of mine in grad school said, listen to them carefully. You're going to change your mind. And I did. So I realized that by listening to them, I could actually learn to like something, which at first sight, I didn't like. Have you had such experiences? And do you relish that? And what are your thoughts on that? So involving your mind, if your heart isn't engaged, sure. Yes. I mean, not everything has to come straight to the heart for you to uh, uh, feel uh, the the punch. Sometimes uh, there's a lot of satisfaction from mental stimulation. You know, uh, you know, this is what I do now as well, like combining both the scholarly work uh, as, as a teacher, just and, and with, with a performance, but there's a time and place for everything. And I'm sure you didn't have that. Um, you wouldn't have that perspective as a teenager, but you had it in grad school because you right. had matured. So there's a certain amount of 
time and place for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't want to like Bach when I was young because I thought, listen, I'm already doing math. You know, this thing sounds like math. So I like Tchaikovsky. But then I realized, oh, my God, I love Bach. Forget about Tchaikovsky. So, so you know, it's, it's an evolution. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you're comparing such different fruits. Oh, my gosh. You need both at some point. Come I on. agree. That's why yes. Beethoven is my favorite composer. <laughs> so he's got both. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. So of the musical growth that you've done, for instance, just to stick to that thing we were just talking about, I know that you've ventured into South, South American music magnificently and then French music, because I know your albums, uh, magnificently. And, and you have, you've enriched Armenian music in a way that is just non pareil, as we say in French. So uh, on, on parallel, how do you pick what, you know, I mean, there's no end uh, Spanish music. I also have your Spanish album. How do you make these bouquets or forays into forests other than the ones you already grazed in? How does that adventure for you? You want to comment on that? Sure. Yes, yes, yes. So I, as I mentioned before, I have a very curious mind. I, I love exploring and I get bored easily, to be honest. I get bored very easily in life too. So, um, And the way I approach any kind of programmation, whether it's um, a recording or recitals or concerts, is what do I want to hear if I go to a concert? And the standard repertory has been recorded so many times. How many times do you need to hear the same song? How many versions do you need, especially nowadays, right? Um, when we have access to all these recordings. So there's a couple of things I do. In concerts, for example, I try to bring a little bit of the known, well-known, to kind of lure in the new listener. But then as soon as I have them, the teacher in me comes, right? So I show them, here are the other possibilities that are similar to this, that have grown from this, so that the, the person who comes in is a very dif different person who leaves that concert hall. And now their palette is a bit more and their vision is more expanded. That's what I like when I go to concerts. I don't want to hear the same old, same old. And um, for my recordings, as I said, I've been in, in now in the business for 25 years and I have 22 records right now. I've covered a lot of the standards, but I also have been leaning towards the undiscovered ones lately, kind of giving voice to those who, for a variety of reasons, composers or, or uh, repertoire that has been in, 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 the, in the shadows or presenting the standards in a new way, whether having them arranged in a certain way so that the ear all of a sudden goes, oh, oh, that's interesting. I know it, but I don't know it. And kind of, again, creating something new, whether it's adding something to the canon of what sopranos can sing, and not just with piano voice, but a, a string orchestra or, or a string quartet or harp flute or even dudokan harp, things like this, adding variety and something new, adding something new, not just going by the standards. And um, for example, in the middle of the pandemic, actually, uh, I released a CD of the recording of mostly unknown Italian Baroque arias by composers Vivaldi, Hasse, and Gluck. Three of them had written operas about our Armenian king, Tigran. All three operas were called Il Tigrane. And I didn't know that our king, Tigran Meds, 
was married to somebody called Cleopatra. Did you know that? No. But not no. but not the Cleopatra that we know. So that his title is the other Cleopatra. Yes, Queen I, I know this album, and uh, you look very good on that album. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Cleopatra fits you well. About, okay, She's what? in my DNA. Look yeah, at exactly. that. You Diva might have been her in a, in a previous life. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the blood of queen runs in my DNA. So I right. am so entitled to act like that. 45 AD. Okay. <laughs> so so yeah. things like this where you unearth um, and you go into this scholarly work, which was something that, was, that I did not have time for before because I was so actively singing most of the months of the year. But now that I have these, this dual role of teaching as a professor at the university, I have more time to do research. And then how wonderful, what a blessed position is it to be to, to research your projects and then you get to perform them. I mean, this is heaven. Truly, yes, it's just because yes. you're picking something that fits you and then getting a chance to perform it. So this is the kind of work that has been the artistic, the creative work um, that has been the offshoot of my other creative work, which is performance on stage. So this is another creative slash scholarly part that I've really enjoyed. Again, nothing is the same. It's, it's, there's something new added both to my life and to life of the, of the listeners, of the audience, and to the canon, most importantly, the canon of what's available for other singers to perform. And that's important to me, that it's not just mine, but it's shared. And... Um, yeah, and, and that's the, basically the, the whole reason how the Armenian, my, my, the CDF, the, the project after that, the Armenian Songs for Children, that about, again, it was completely drawn. Okay, you see, you see a common theme here, identity and authenticity have to meld together with who I am right now in this specific time and place in the whole space-time uh, um, continuum. Uh, continuum. Let, yeah, so let me let me ask you, most of my time is going to be spent stopping you a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I'm a traffic cop of an impossible situation. But uh, we, we're going to come to your album, obviously, but I wanted to ease into it with my second question. How would you characterize the differences between or the overall musical harmony uniting Armenian music, whether it be traditional village heritage based or Gomidas transcribed versus the Western canon, which you sing professionally from Italian operas to German leader to South American tango gems? That's quite a span. Yes, yes. The, 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 uh, to answer your question, there's one word, authenticity. Anything you sing, anything has to come from a place of authenticity. You have to mean it. You have to love it and mean it, whatever it is you're singing. If you're singing in French, you need to savor that French language, which I love, and make sure you do homage to, to the beauty of the language and the meaning. If you're singing an operatic aria, 
the, the grandeur of it. You need to embody it. It has to become you. You cannot pretend to be a kalas do singing it. It has to be Isabel with her whole big past coming all together to create this scene. But it's always coming from a place of that is that's it authenticity. I, I don't think I can I can elaborate more. That word is sufficient. It works for me. So uh, let's talk about the new album, Armenian Songs for Children. It is uh, ethnomusicology par excellence. Bartok or Gomidas or Ravel or Dvorak have nothing on you. You have unearthed Armenian music and expressive gems lost to the cruelties of time and conquerors passed over a vast landmass, Western Armenia. The song of village folk resurrected in your hands and brought back to life like an injured bird on a trembling window on a cold winter morning saved by you to find flight and gently soar away. Tell us about your song choices, the hard work of mastering and rendering them so beautifully, accompanied with just such a virtuoso harp and a virtuoso flute. Masterful simplicity and purity of sound, if I may be so bold as to say. Medros, you're a poet. <laughs> I love the way you internalized and expressed my work of passion. I honestly do not remember one single shred of all the difficulties that went into creating this. And there were so many. I don't, I simply don't recall any challenge right now at this moment because it was a passion. It was a project so close to my heart. But more importantly, again, um, at the beginning of the interview, I mentioned how I am led by my inner voice. There was a voice that couldn't be stopped. It was so loud that said, you must do it. You must do it. You must do it. There was only one other occasion that this big voice inside was harassing me almost to the point of what's going on. That was actually a, a very important thing. I will mention this personal. A couple of months before my mother had her debilitating stroke, she was very healthy. This inner voice kept saying, go to mom, go to mom, go to mom. Okay, I'm living in Toronto. Mom is in California. This voice said, go to mom, go to mom, go to mom. You know what? I did. I sold the house in Toronto, went to Fresno. That voice was so loud. I had to leave everything in Toronto and with my family move to Fresno to be with my mom. And had and you not months, done that, she would have... I would not have been able to live with myself. I would not have been, because, you know, you always think your mom is going to live forever. And right. especially my mom was healthy. But, um, so not to make too much of a, of a dramatic parallels, but the voice that told me, you must do it, you must do it, you must do it, was as strong. Okay, but let's let's pull into that. Look, listen, everybody might think that whatever Gomidas did can't be topped. 
or there's no point in doing anything else than what he did. That is not what you're doing. In other words, all the musical heavy lifting, by the way, I wanted to make a comment about that. Remember how you said that you had a perch by being at UCSB that allowed you to do scholarship and performance? Well, that's exactly what Gomidas did by being mm-hmm. a Vartabet who went to the villages, an analogy that I think is pertinent here. He had the time to think about what these folks, people are doing and then have it performed in Istanbul later on or it's Riyadzin. And that allowed him to have that, that separation between his thought time, his own composition, and then performance, exactly like you. So there, you're, you're in good company, just like Bartok, just like all these people. Thank you. But I also think Gomidas uh, also felt that inner voice that told him, you must do it, you must 100%. do it, you must do it. 100%. And, and that's one of the reasons um, I, I, I didn't, um, again, I didn't second guess it. Even though it was in the middle of the pandemic, I said, I must record this. I don't know why. Now, after I'd done it, and through the process of it, I actually found out why. Because it, this voice, that inner voice, was actually the collective voice of my ancestors. Right. Saying, right. give yeah. voice to us, give voice to us, give voice to us. We weren't allowed to sing this. We were chartavats. We, we, we were killed And the Armenian zeitgeist. It doesn't even have to be just your family. How about, how, about, how about every Armenian you meet? How about every conversation you have? Every drink you have? When you you know do chin chin, what do you think is being said? What's being said is, who are we? How are we going to survive? What are our chances in the future? Your work makes that possible. So it's much more than your own family, believe it or it's, not. It's true that ancestors made in the sense that the whole collective, absolutely. Right. And the collective is what I had in mind when I was putting together this, this the repertoire. Okay, what to put in here? First of all, I didn't want this to be a grab-all bag of songs and children's songs. Absolutely not. It had to mean something and it had to unite. This is very important. We all come from the same source, right? But yet we act divided as Armenians. However, I wanted to say that at some point as children, children don't care about these divisions. As children, we sing, we have fun, we're playful. We don't talk politics. I read something interesting today. Hate is taught. It's, it's taught. Kids don't know that. So I wanted to bring it down to that level. What did our ancestors sing when they were kids? And what did they hear when they were kids? And that kids, it's not just Armenia, the homeland, the diaspora, and also historical Armenia. And which is why I went to, of course, I, I had to include Gomidas's uh, children's songs. We only hear his uh, more um, dramatic and more and more, um, uh, shall I say, more the bigger repertoire, right? Uh, leans on the on the lament and and longing, but his children's songs are almost never performed. And then finding out, okay, what did his students? What is the oeuvre of his students? And then coming down to Ganachan, of course, Ganachan I grew up with in Lebanon, hearing his songs and and singing them, and Mihran Tumajan who was a complete revelation to me. And so I, I definitely, the professor in me, enjoyed the fact that, ooh, I'm, I'm highlighting another teacher with his two students, two of his five students, I should say. Um, and then to me, Ganachian represented diaspora. Gomidas represented homeland, Armenia. And Tumajan represented the historical Armenia, the survivors of the historical Armenia. And um, 
hopefully, my hope was that by bringing this together in this theme, this all-inclusive representation would in turn wake in each of us a generation, almost like a DNA memory of who we were, who we are, and who the next generation will be. So on a practical side, I'll say, all this intellectual talk aside, I'm a mom to two kids, right? To two children, my daughter Leah and my son Ari. These kids have heard me sing lullabies to them every single night, every single night. And I, and I make, make it as different as I can, all Armenian, of course, and prayers sprinkled in there too, you know? But I am very much aware that most Armenian children do not have this when they go to sleep right now. Even as close as my brother, who I'm very close to, who, who lives in Fresno, his children aren't listening to this, uh, aren't, aren't exposed to this while they're going to sleep. So even in my own family. So I thought this was extremely unfair and to, for my, only two people in the world at night to get this. I mean, yes, you know, I've sung it thousands of times, but it was actually this one as leaving a legacy to the new generation because they won't know it if, you don't, if they don't hear it, right? It's as simple as that. If they hear it, then there's the link that has been restored with our past. That's it. They hear it. Of course, it's all, life is all about making choices. We all, we all live with the results of our choices, right? They will have to make a choice. Do they continue singing this to their own children or will they not? But at least I have now made it accessible for parents to learn it along with their children. You know, I recorded this not in operatic keys, I really brought the key down to, 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 to something that all of us can sing because I didn't want this to be something that is unattainable. Like it's too high, mom, I can't sing this. None of that. Huh? I wanted it to be very practical. So that's the thing. I want my own family, grandchildren, my friends' children, and eventually the, co the community's children to know about these songs. It's where they came from. It's very important. And music sometimes has a way of waking that curiosity, that identity, that pride, that you owning yourself, you know? And then again, it, how did this all started? I will say this. When uh, my son was very young and he, he just knew about YouTube, right? And one day, as he was like, but because I'm saying this, you know, and I think the minute I start singing, for example, track number three, on this disc is something that I've sung, oh, 7,000 times, maybe literally 7,000, just to my children every night, going from one bedroom, singing to one kid, going to the other bedroom, singing to the other, eh, seven, seven to 10,000, ah, that's the range, it's a lot. And it has, it has this Pavlovian <laughs> effect right now. By the middle of it, they go like that, regardless where they are, they just, they just immediately go to sleep. I love it. Um, one day, just before he, he dozed off, he said, Mom, why don't you put this on YouTube so that other kids can also go to sleep wow. if they're not, if remarkable. they can't go to sleep? This is from a, an eight-year-old boy. Wow. And this is how it all started. He's now 14, and I remind him about this, and he's kind of you know shy in, sure, in this sure, teenager sure, yeah. way. Don't embarrass oh. him. Don't embarrass him. Ah! But that's, that's basically it. It's just knowing that 
our great grandparents and our ancestors weren't these old figures or adults. Yeah. They were kids once. They were like you, just like you. They sang let's, these uh, songs. Let's rewind a little bit. So let me let me catch up on what I would have uh, said to you had you uh, allowed any room for breathing, but there wasn't. But that's fine. One is that uh, Ganachian used to have a a cappella choir in Beirut, just like Gomidas had it in Istanbul uh, in the turn of the century. And that a cappella choir did its, he was blind already, but he, he did its rehearsals with a pianist accompanying them so that, you know, they'd get the pitch right and so on. And that pianist was my mother. So when my mother was nine years old, she played piano in Ganachian's choir oh. practices when he was just beating up <laughs> all these singers and, and, you know, getting the perfection that he was after. Wow. And so we grew up hearing those stories about Ganachian and Ganachian's daughter's daughter was a classmate of my middle brother, Levon, whom you know, uh, in our school. So uh, we grew up with the Ganachian daughter's family who lived across the street from uh, Central High School in Beirut which is how small this world is. Okay, that's Ganachian's story. Her name is Shali. <laughs> now, I, I love this origin story. It's palpable. It's, it's uh, remarkable. doesn't explain why you have a virtuoso harpist and virtuoso flautist on your... That's a, that's a little leap from what we've already covered. Can you say something about how you chose that ensemble? And just since when are you making yourself trying to sound Japanese? What was the last one? Since when are you trying to sound, desperately trying to sound Japanese in your composition of sound space? Because that harp and, and, and flout has such a humongously beautiful Japanese feel to it, as well as everything you've put into it. I thought if you'd stop to think about that, are you inspired by Japanese uh, highly you know, refined uh, single read instrument type of uh, music or, or is that just a happenstance? So when I collected um, this repertoire, obviously I had a lot more than what ended up on this recording, a lot, lot, lot more. The Gomidas songs, most of them were just melody, meaning Gomidas never had the chance to harmonize it like he did his other songs like Grung or Zidernag. Um, Most of them were just the melody or excerpts or even, or even um, actually not excerpts, but fragments. For example, the second one, the five lullaby fragments, which I'll talk about later. There literally were two or three bars of this that he'd collected as little snippets that he, he'd heard various mothers sing it. And, and the Tumajan also was only melody and the Ganachian was the only one that had been harmonized, but it was not har uh, harmonized for my arrangement. So obviously what you would be hearing on the recording are arrangements. So when the, the, after curating the project, the next step was who was going to arrange them and to what instrumentation. Now, I already knew 
that the combination of flute and harp is present in almost all children music. If you pay close attention to what is considered light, lively, simple, innocent, those two instruments together cause an effect like almost like a heavenly Elysian. There's a lack of aggression. Yeah, there's no aggression yeah. in, that, in those instruments. There's no thumping. Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. Though harp is plucking, it has more of a of a of a, a grand effect. And the, what's interesting is, I had two very different composers do the arrangements. Artura Vanesov, who is one of the most brilliant uh, composers we have today, and also one of the best pianists, actually, he is a, also a Gomida scholar. So it was a no-brainer. I I asked him to do the arrangements, which he gladly did. So he did the Gomidas children's songs. And um, now for the Ganachian, because it was something that was very close to me, actually, I did the arrangement with Ellie. That was my first foray into arrangement. Uh, so those five songs was something that I conceived with her. For the Mihran Tumajan, I went to composer John Hodian. And when we were having a conversation about how to go about this, he asked me if he was free to arrange it the way he wanted. And as somebody who believes in authenticity, I said, absolutely. I'm ready for you to arrange it the way you feel, you as a composer, feel it should be done. And his first, one of his first things to me was that I can't let this stay in the 19th century. It has to come to the 21st century. So the sensibilities that he brought to it are very exotic, aren't they? They're unlike any other Armenian arrangements you've heard. Some people say it has a lot of Asian. Yes, I think I said that. Then like... Asceticism. Yes, yes. And then the, um, for example, one of the songs, Salon Chakhemsuker, the cradle song from Botania, Bithynia, that has more of a Samson Dalila, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. very exotic feel to it. So absolutely, I wanted it to be their own. You know, John is also the, uh, is also the grandson of survivors of the genocide. So he, it's in his history and identity, this. So I had to let it come out the way he imagined it, the way he envisioned it. Of course, he involved me in the process and I was always very supportive of the direction it went. Well, why not let it be different? And and having a duduk in there, the duduk and, and the harp uh, combination. Again, the duduk is so is associated ethnically to us, though, though many ethnicities, of course, uh, claim it. However, it adds that historical element to these songs that are from historical Armenia, you know, that Nehran Tumajan collected. So I did my research, of course, before approaching these two composers, and I knew that I would be getting different results. But so there's no such thing as a whole CD sounding the same. So now you have three different fruits, right? You have one by John Hodin, you have one by Artur Avarisov, and we have one by me and Ellie. So now, got, who, who did the Swallow Song? There's two versions of the Swallow Song. So which which are those? So the first Swallow Song by Gomidas was done by uh, Artur. The second song by um, uh, Garachen was one I did. So with Ellie. So. Guess which one I prefer. Well, 
you are, well, with that story of Ganachian's connection to your family, I'm not surprised that the entire five song uh, set is <laughs> extremely close to you. Yeah, and, I love Gomidas. Listen, I've know, painted Gomidas five times, <laughs> Gomidas posters all over my house. There are no Ganachian posters here. So, <laughs> so please. So, no, no. That's not you it. know, it's interesting that um, uh, there is, obviously, as I mentioned, there, I have a huge collection right now of this music, and some of it has been arranged though it didn't end up on the recording so there will definitely be a second volume to this oh, yes. with a, with a much bigger Ganachian inclusion in it which I may do a different arrangement this time maybe sure. not so much sure. with this sure. just to kind sure. of again yeah. um, expand a limit to your creativity I can see that and it's wonderful so did you have any trouble with any of the songs these are the silly questions one has to ask you know these kind of I was the one who chose them how could I have a problem with no, that? no 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 but in other words it turned out to be more to chew you, you see what I'm saying so you thought it's going to go one way but it turned out to have you know like it, the sound didn't fit the you know your conception or it was just you know you couldn't immediately you couldn't maximize so for instance it relates to another question how do you decide you've done enough with a song how do you decide it's done? It's the same, uh, in other words, the same question, which is to say, as you improve as by, by repetition and by trial and error, how do you know you've reached that stage where you go, that's it, I can't improve on this anymore for now? So the first question to answer that, because there was two questions, how do, how, um, the first question was, uh, if there were any problems with the creation of it. Right. No, this was a no drama project. We had enough drama from COVID uh, restrictions and having to record six feet apart and not having the usual trio in a tight little uh, grouping that it was. I mean, we had that. We had many logistical problems. Yeah, we yeah, never hiccups. had any I'm artistic. talking about hiccups. Yeah. What kind of hiccups did you have to overcome? Nothing artistic on this one. Wow. Nothing artistic, thankfully. I was very fortunate because I had... You live a charmed life. No, I, um, when something is blessed... You just go with the flow. You don't yeah. question it. Yeah. And um, I had I had a beautiful grant from UCSB actually to do that covered partial costs, but the others were all actually personal. This was all personal um, project. And when I say personal, it actually drew in artists of high caliber who are also drawn to this high standard and yeah. who kind of did it because they loved it, who wanted to be part of it. Doesn't and sound like anything else. Doesn't sound like anything else up and down the line, which is unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. During the recordings, you know, I'm the worst critic and the best critic of what I do because I'm very, very uh, harsh with my standards. And if I don't like something, that's the thing also. I have such a big tool belt of how to fix things, which is, makes me a good, actually, technician, how I can actually teach my students very well, get over a lot of uh, vocal um, problems. So the minute I hear something, all the possibilities come, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this next time. But I have to hear it. So, so that's why I'm very involved with the recording process, actually. All right. How many takes were you doing, lady? Uh, um, not that, uh, usually it is maybe two full takes and just patches of let's say the flute didn't or the or the harp did a wrong note and it's those kind of things mostly because yeah. all the work has to happen beforehand you need to rehearse it with the ensemble and you just bring it together you cannot over rehearse something all the spontaneity like the magic goes like that's very important this magic needs to be there and in the moment but when i listen to the playback 
all ego goes down, all heart goes out, just mental. Listen to it, analyze it. And then again, walking back on stage. And then all of a sudden it becomes, it, everything goes to the heart, making sure it's coming from a right place. And then going through the all day, okay, you didn't hear this, which means make it the technical changes. And then hearing it like, aha, that's that's, that's how did better. you pick the order? That's the album preparation. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That is playing things in so many um, different variations because listening to a recording, I mean, I don't know, nobody listens to real recordings anymore, but you you download it from, you know, you listen, you stream it, but the traditional way, the original way is people listen to it from beginning to end. So you need to create something like an undulating uh, uh, structure. Some, it goes up with tempo, then it goes down and it goes up again. It goes down. So to maintain the interest of the, of the listener. So that's exactly what the thinking was starting with something upbeat, going to, of course, first of all, keeping it separate, you know, giving each composer their own space and time to shine. That was very important to me. So, of course, the teacher comes first. So putting Gomidas' work first, starting with upbeat children's songs, going to um, lullabies, and then kind of rising up again with the partridge and the wooden horse and then the swallow. And then, and then how making sure that, for example, if songs are duplicated, because sometimes Gomidas and, uh, and, and Ganachian wrote, as you mentioned, Diternak, um, the swallow, right. same words, different uh, different melodies, making sure that they're close enough, but not completely back to back, because we don't want to, we don't ever want to compare, right? You want to enjoy, like, but I made sure to sing them in the in the same key. That's actually just to make sure that if you go back to it and play it side by side, they're in the same key. You go, ah, oh, okay. Da, 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 da. One reached up too much. The other, you know, it just, uh, uh, and the same thing with uh, Agen, the, uh, the the lullaby from Agen that Gomidas collected and which Mihrantu Majan also collected. But that the Agen song is interesting because Mihran collected three lullabies from Agen. And what I did is I created a medley because I just didn't want to just take one and let the other two be forgotten again until the next person uh, revived them. I just wanted to bring as much as I could by medleys. You, you, you mothered them. Aww. Aww. Thank you. That's a beautiful compliment. So, and then, of course, again, this, this, this whole, this what right, do so I... It's the equivalent of Chopin's minor key, major key uh, changes between his various uh, preludes. You need to do it. You need to have a variety. You but need to have a variety. Most Armenian songs, to be a little pessimistic, terribly minor key-ish, so that it's hard to find the, the major key ones, or you, you, you've managed, but I mean, was that a difficulty? Um, the difficulty was making sure that there were, yes, enough children, happy songs, not lullabies, not putting them to sleep. Right. What did they actually sing? And some of them are hilarious. Yes. That's what the kids That's, sing. I mean, they put curses on each other. You know, I... <laughs> You know, Madrapazin uh, Achkadurna. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> may. Um, you it's, know, it's basically and... <laughs> it's showing off. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, <laughs> acting tough. You know, like little animals do it. You know, they they play. You know, submission games, even though you know they're little. They're little bears, right? Thank you. 
So what are your musical ambitions, not yet reached summits, dreams, aspirations, besides teaching the next generation, which you're busy doing, of course? Who plans like that? I don't plan my life like that. I, I go with the flow. I, I, as long as I'm creative, as long as I'm, uh, I'm continue to be a free spirit, there's a lot of things in, yeah, on the horizon. You're a dreamer, Isabel. And as a dreamer, you're having <laughs> dreams. I'm asking you to probe <laughs> your dreams. Let's get, let's get going. Oh, my dreams, artistic dreams, is um, to continue to produce repertoire or to, to, to um, create and perform repertoire that needs to, that deserves to be heard, um, that is currently undeserved or undiscovered. And um, to, very important for me right now, is to be a mentor and a guide to the next generation of singers. It's so important for me. I, I see it and I am at a beautiful place in my life where I can still, I can, I can be, I can hop from stage to studio and bring in that relevant information to the new, uh, to the singers. It's very important for me. And, and more and more giving opportunities to young singers. That's also something very important, whether that is through, um, mentorship on stage not just off stage but like giving the young ones an opportunity you know COVID COVID has had a very very catastrophic effect especially on up-and-coming singers you know you need the momentum you need years of momentum to build you know it's like a plane right for it to take off you need incredible amount of power at the beginning and energy for it to lift off and COVID just boom cut that lift off for so many. And even today, performance venues are counting on established names to bring in people. Nobody wants to risk their lives. It's going to see. We're not back to just going out there freely and enjoying music and experimenting and listening to new things. So, and one thing that I want to do again is eventually, whether it's through having my own festival, my own concert series, or even my own record label, inviting the young generation, giving them a chance to record their music. Like nobody has this chance anymore. No one. It's so difficult to create music and put out their music. So you're saying TikTok doesn't work for you? Oh, it was suggested. I sighed because it's like, oh, <laughs> no, it does not. Right. Not right now. Even though it sounds like a Gomidas uh, children's song's name, TikTok, right there. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> so, Isabel, can you lead us through a typical day for you, if such a thing can be described? Say you're back home during the semester, UCSB is open, all the children are in school. What is your day like? And then when you're out on the road and away from home, how do you prepare, rehearse, choose your repertoire? expand it, do the groundwork before the flashy lights of the stage and your powerful voice captures the rest of the night in a blazing glory. Oh, sounds so intimidating. I try. Oh. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no typical day. And I thank God for that. There's no routine. But, um, you know, everything that I do, 
I've asked for it and therefore I'm grateful for it and therefore I do it with passion. I love being a mom. I love being a mom. It actually takes, that's a priority. Um, I love the give and take. I love the, the teaching that I do. I love the love that I share with them, the, the journey of life with them. It is one of the huge blessings in my life. UCSB, I love teaching. I love teaching. I wouldn't have said this 15 years ago. I wouldn't have said it 10 years ago. So with teaching, you need to be, your reserves, your barrel needs to have been so full of experience, life, that it just overflows and you have to give in order to receive more. That's what I feel about teaching. You cannot go into teaching when you are still taking from life. When you are overflowing, you're supposed to be teaching. And that's what I feel. It just has so much to give them. And I get rewarded with more because I am giving from this. Oh, it's overflowing. It's not even called giving. My gosh, you know, that has been a beautiful, beautiful direction that I never consciously thought about it. I never really thought that I would be a tenured full professor at a university never worked towards it you know I was in the moment and and this opportunity came which started just as a lecturer actually and it just quickly obviously progressed but one of the many perks of being at UCSB is that I'm the director of the opera here so I direct for example this this year I'm directing the magic flute and it is a very new um, and and interesting version where I've had it again commissioned for a chamber ensemble to accompany it instead of a full orchestra. It's nine musicians, nine students. I have singers singing double cast roles, meaning I only have seven singers because we're a very small program. And I have acting that's, it's a puppet show. It's actually by the theater and dance department who are using puppets big and small to act the, the part. So it's a, it's kind of bringing together three art forms, instrumental music making, singing and acting and theater to bring the same story perform, uh, interpreted in three different ways. It's just creating no boundaries. So, and this is actually going to be going to New York City for a tour uh, in association with New York City Opera, thanks to um, my friend, Constantine Orbelian. He invited this uh, group to perform as part of their New York City Opera's outreach program. So. You know, it's incredibly satisfying for me to have my creativity, my experience going to this, coaching singers in Mozartian singing, coaching the instrumentalists, putting it all, putting a show together. And trust me, that's where engineering comes in, where you have, you're super efficient with budget, with timing, with putting the show together. And, you know, another satisfaction is showing my, uh, seeing my students, my students excel and get into these wonderful graduate programs and win competitions. And that is a huge, uh, just like, it's like raising your kid and seeing them successful. Truly, I feel like that. And then the best part is sneaking in <laughs> any moment I can get to learn my new music. But thankfully, we go back to the original conversation. I learn music so fast and it gets internalized in me so quickly. And truly, it just, 
I, I'm saying this, I used to take it for granted. It's not until I started teaching, I said, oh, you've got to teach somebody to do this? Okay. You need to teach somebody to sing Colorado because it came naturally to me. You need to, all those things. Break I it realized, down. Yeah, you got to break what it a, down. What, a, yeah. what an advantage I had. So, and then um, and then come kind of coming to life and any opportunity I get to be on stage to, to, to come. And that's a completely different part of me, right? That's like my soul. My soul comes out and sings. So as a mom, my heart is singing. As a teacher, my mind is singing. But as a singer on stage, my soul just comes out and says, thank you. And it's like, there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a poet in you too, I have to admit. Um, <laughs> now, so Papagenia is a puppet? Everyone. Everyone in the show is a puppet. Everyone in the show is a puppet. The Queen of the Night is a puppet. The uh, the, the three the ladies. Music box, the, three... the magical music box thing is a puppet. Uh, the magical, uh, da, 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 yeah. yeah, that yeah. is that is going to be a Celeste playing and ah, a side. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on. What books have influenced you the most? Uh, what composers? You don't have to write these down. I'll ask them again. What composers? What singers? What musicians? What movie makers? What thinkers? Philosophers? Poets? Novelists? And painters? I just thought I'd ask a little question like that. What books have influenced you the most? Paolo Coelho. His books. Okay. All of them? Um, the, warri the Warrior of Light. Excellent. Love what it. composers are your favorite oh. for now? Mozart, always Mozart comes on top. Yes. Uh, it's not a mistake. Well, it's Beethoven for me, but you know, I allow that. Uh, what singers? Cecilia Bartoli. Oh, nice. Uh, what musicians? Could be pianist, could be whatever instrument you like listening to. What's your go to instrument to listen to when you're alone? Is it a cello like it is for me or guitar, classical guitar, or what? You know, I have such a curious mind. I shuffle on uh, Amazon oh. and I and I go to whatever I you know the classical guitar how about yes. that yeah okay. I, oh, that's a very good okay. choice yeah yeah the only instrument I play what movie makers <laughs> have influenced you the most oh man the Coen brothers yeah you were young I should remember that oh. so I was uh, yeah, that's fine <laughs> uh, what thinkers this one, I'm going to go with, um, even though he is a scientist as well, Einstein. Good. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, a few pictures of him around here as well, uh, <laughs> everywhere, uh, and quotes and stuff. Uh, what philosophers? Not Nietzsche, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that insult as uh, in, in stride. Uh, not, he's not my favorite philosopher, but I... I recognize him as an extremely important philosopher. So who do you like? Can it be like uh, like Aristotle? Can it be? Yes, it can be yes, Aristotle. Okay, thank you. you. Know, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't sure if you needed to be current. No, no, you, you didn't respect that okay. rule of the Coen brothers. So why, why start now? So, <laughs> it's current. <laughs> exactly. It's current. That's current. I didn't ask it. You made it current. Oh, <laughs> okay. Go ahead. The ancienter, the better. So Aristotle, you like. 
his poetics, I suppose, or uh, any of his writings uh, related to art. He tried to have a theory of art, by the way. How about poets? Mm. Canadian. I'm going to go with Canadian. Um, Atwood. Yeah. I know she's a novelist, but also. She yes, has yes, her. yes, yes. All right. Margaret. Margaret Atwood. Yes. Yes. Uh, by the way, earlier when you were talking about being free, I had a desperate need to tell you, do you know Leonard Cohen's song? His most famous song, which is about all his life, he spent his time to try to like a like bird on a wire to mm. be free. Do you know this song? Of course, like a bird. Yeah. Yes. On to a be wire. Free. Yeah. So that was. That it's was so important. Fun. That's this this concept of freedom. I know I'm interjecting, but no, no, uh, no, it's no. it's come back again and again. You know, it's never free. Freedom is never free, but it's so essential to keeping your essence. Freedom is and elusive, and the fact that you pursue it is a uh, charming quality you should never lose. How about novelists? You're going to go back to that fellow again? <laughs> the South American? <laughs> I like him. You don't fine, like him? Fine, fine, fine. I'm not going to okay. say anything. Uh, how about painters? Painters. You. What painters speak to you? <laughs> Besides that, what speaks to you? Oh, very funny. <laughs> what speaks to you? You know, um, I will say this. When I was growing up, in Lebanon, we had middle of the war. We had huge books of um, impressionism on our um, table, uh, mm -hmm. and we had no chance for internet, nothing. And I would pour through that book, that illustrated book. So, uh, yeah, the impressionists. So Monet, Manet. You know, one of my yes. favorite jokes yes. is uh, Herb Cain told this. It's not my joke. Herb Cain told it in the in the Chronicle once. Uh, two people are at Musée d'Orsay in Paris. And two American women are talking, and one of them says, Monet, Monet. I've heard it pronounced both ways. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, I know you write poetry yourself. Can you read something of yours here on the air for your fans? What I will read instead is um, something from a song. Um, I did not write this, but I feel um, in Armenian, one of the lullabies in this recording is speaks so much to me. I know the English translation. I'll 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 read the English translation afterwards. But um, and it was very difficult to translate that to English because um, the Armenian words are so succinct, and you would understand it if you said it. It's the following. It is the lullaby from Putania called Orim Orim. So. Orim, 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 ororotstanim, sutrishtagnernal bahabantanim janigas. Oror, 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 oranter boski, oranter oski gamarter arzat, yavrugas. Oror, oror, oreras orerut, oreras orerut, acheras acherut, anushigas. So, cannot imagine a bigger blessing a mother can give upon a child, right? Saying, sleep, I lull you to sleep. I place you under the holy angel's protection, my beloved little child. Sleep, sleep, your cradle is golden and its arch is made out of silver, my dear little child. Sleep, sleep, I wish you a long life. 
I will always watch over you, my sweet little child. Now, I did all the translations for this recording, you know, um, all of them. It's my first time doing translations for um, CD booklet. And there, this one, this one was so poignant to me because, come on, oreres orerut, acheres acherut. It's very simple. It means, may my, the days of my life always be seen, be, be with your days of your life. Acheres acherut. May, like my eyes, may they always be on your eyes, meaning you're always around, you're always visiting, you're always healthy, you're always alive. Our eyes locked would have been a way uh, to translate that. Our uh, eyes locked, but, but, but that's too write romantic. It down, write it down. No, it's not romantic. It's not romantic. Our eyes always locked is not romantic. Um, it's, uh, it's a wish. It's, 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 uh, may our eyes be always locked. That is not romantic. It's a prayer. But also, uh, I will always watch over you. It's also, also beautiful. But that's, that's uh, well, I agree, but it's, uh, it's more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a um, task. Mm. Our eyes be always locked is not a task. It's a blessing. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's, a permanent, it's a permanence to it. The, you know, the subtlety is that if you say, may I do this or I'm going to do this, that's, a, that's an action, and then there's a failure. May I eyes always be locked has no failure mode. That's where the poetry of it is. But anyway, and mm -hmm. the next one was Aches, 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 Gyankis, Gyankis. What was the next one? No, there's no Gyankis, Gyankis. But there's it something. Was, there's another. It was Oreras, Orerut. Right. Now that's extremely poetic. So may my days exist only through your days. That's what that it, means. It wouldn't have fit. <laughs> fit on the page. <laughs> I can't help you, lady. I can only do the best I can do. Anyway, so we can talk about translation if you like. I've translated Neruda poetry to Armenian, so which I think sound better in Armenian. And so um, we can talk about that if you like sometime off, offline. So, um, and you knew I was going to ask this. Can you also sing one of the bird songs from your wonderful and enchanting album of Armenian songs for children? My favorite, incidentally, among 28 of other masterpieces is the lament or sorrowful song full of chagrin serenade. Sing one for us, Isabel. Let's listen to it as it would be a better thing. Well, we're going to listen to it, but if they can hear your voice do this like that, they will hear the authenticity, they will hear the, or, or anything. Or how about Dervo Ormia? Do you want to sing Dervo Ormia with me? No? So the thing about singers is that, is that um, we are not like uh, instrumentalists who um, press a button to sing. The singing requires warm-ups, vocalises, and definitely no speaking before singing. And we've been talking so deliciously the last little while that the singing voice that usually comes out will not be the same. So it's better to hear it. Yeah, but it'll be closer it. to their voice. They will be closer <laughs> to your listeners' voices, and you You're lure them in. Aha, uh -huh, good Good try, Bedros. Good try. Yeah, I have no chance here. Okay, well, let me just say thank you, Isabel. The Armenian nation thanks you. You're a national treasure and a wonderful podcast interview, my first. All right, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel.
me, folks? I didn't ask to be the one to turn down Isabel Pyraktarian. It's an amazing album, and I haven't stopped listening to it since I got it. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed this Conversations on Grung episode. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks to Pedro Safayan for his time. I knew that we would both have a wonderful experience preparing and doing this episode because we're both big fans of Isabel's. Thank you for supporting us at Armenian News Network Grung. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube and follow us on Twitter. On behalf of everyone in this episode, we wish you a good week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.